Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. This week is pretty special too, though. Uh, he's, he's got a good message. I, I was blessed to sit through the first, the first service, and you guys are going to be encouraged. But right now, we got, uh, we got a pretty cool video talking about our 40th year of this, uh, of this wonderful church. Go ahead and roll that video, guys. Good morning, Windsor Christian Fellowship. My name is Marilyn, and this is my brother-in-law, Nello. He is husband of my wonderful sister, Margie. <laughs> I have to say that. <laughs> It's hard to believe that we're celebrating our 40th anniversary. I remember celebrating our 30th, and I can't believe we're already at our 40th. Time passes so fast. Um, As I go through this, I want to share the goodness of God in how he started this church and how he has kept and maintained our church throughout the years. He's been so good to us, and we've had such a miraculous beginning, and God continues to bless this church. I I want to add to that. this about starting the church god knew that we knew nothing about starting churches and therefore we didn't know we were getting into if i knew what i was getting into i don't think i would have got involved (laughs) but god knew that we didn't know it so here we are yes amen so i'm just going to read some of this early part so that we can get through it very quickly in the late 70s, during the charismatic movement, we had a ladies and men's Bible study group. And after a couple of years, we wanted a church where we could all worship together. We felt that was very critical to uh, helping us to grow in the things of God. And we knew we needed a church and we knew we needed a pastor. It was important for that and especially for our kids. We searched, but we couldn't find a church that met our needs, somewhere that taught the whole word of God, like healing, baptism, and the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That was important to us. The power of life-giving foundational prayer and dynamic, lively children's church that taught the word of God to children at their level of understanding. We were young. We all had young children, and so kids were really important to us, generational uh, approach to church was, was critical. That was one of the major things that we saw in other churches that we went to, that there wasn't re- really programs for our kids. And we wanted our kids taught. Yes. Um, we went by the word. Mm-hmm. It was train up a child in the ways they should go. And we knew it was our responsibility, but we also felt that it would be great in the church. Amen. So our ladies and men's group had met for a couple of years at Nobles Baptist Church Basement. And uh, after that time, we started looking for a church. We couldn't find one that we wanted. And one night we were at a wedding. There were eight of us at a wedding. And uh, at the, we were sitting outside. It was a tent wedding. And one of the men in our group said, why don't we just start our own church? And I remember both of us <laughs> and many of us looking at each other thinking, start our own church? We're in our 20s and early 30s. We know nothing about starting a church. None of us had ever been in leadership in a church. We all attended churches, many different churches, but we thought this was an insurmountable task and quite frightening. I can remember being very frightened by the whole prospect of we we would need to find land and we would need to find a building and we would need to find a pastor and there's a lot of legal documents. How to incorporate. How to incorporate. (laughs) We need bylaws. It was insurmountable to us and uh, I can remember being very nervous about the whole thing and having hard time sleeping for the next few nights but anyway we began a search uh, and we we started looking for a pastor we went to Detroit and some of the big conferences and when they would talk about all the new pastors we'd run and try to interview them all and we met Kenneth Hagan there and Kenneth Hagan prayed with us that God would help us to find a church and the right pastor And uh, some people in our Bible study at the time were attending a church in Detroit called Healing for the Nations. Their pastor was called Clarence King. And he said, you know, I just happen to have a new young pastor. Graduate of Rhema Bible College. Right. And uh, would you like to meet him? And so Nello agreed to go over there and meet him. His name was Pastor Rick Shimatero. 
And I can tell you that when we met him the first time, he came over on a Wednesday night to our little Bible study. There were 28 people there. We met in the basement, and he wore red shoes. Walked on chairs. And he stood on the chairs, yes. Walked on the chairs trying to preach to us. <laughs> and we thought, this man is dynamic. He knew the word of God inside and out. He was a powerful preacher. He was very charismatic. And we all came back to my house after, and we all agreed, this is the man that we wanted. And so he became our foundational pastor. We already had a name for our church, and we're kind of established a little bit. But he came in, and he really helped the church to grow to what it is today. I, I, you know, people, uh, I'd like this to be known that we, we had a motto back then when we first started. Mm -hmm. You know what the motto was? We are a church greatly committed to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. You know, things haven't changed. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing now. We, they're looking at uh, doing, going out and making disciples and the love of God mm -hmm. in us to bring them in. Mm -hmm. Amen. Anyway, we realized that we couldn't stay at Nobles Baptist Church. Uh, we were growing in our numbers, and so we were uh, looking for another place and moved from there to Optimus Community Center. And uh, when we got to Optimus Community Center, we grew in our numbers up to 44, and then we were getting close to 100 while we were there. We started Children's Church. But then as we grew in numbers, we knew we had to move again, so we moved to Tetonia. And uh, that was an interesting place because we had to set up all the chairs and we had to pack all the chairs away at the end of every service. We had to set up our bookstore. All of our equipment, sound equipment, music equipment and so on were stored in these great big blue boxes on wheels and had to be put in this tiny little storage room. And so I know, I remember Nello saying that he knew that we couldn't stay at Tetonia very long, but we grew to about 300 people while we were at Tetonia. Yeah, I remember we were doing three services at that time. We were mm -hmm. doing Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. And trying to set up and take down was no easy task. It was laborious, yes. It was a lot of work. And of course, we, we remember going in there in the morning when the men would be sitting at the chairs and the women would be walking around with their uh, misters trying to get rid of the smell of beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but those days were wonderful when you think yeah. about it, right? Amen. They were yeah. lots of fun. Anyway, we decided, and I know Nella was really pushing for this, that we find our own property and that we build our own building. And uh, so I'll let him tell you a little bit about how we did that search for the building and property. Well, honestly, we had looked at maybe 20 different pieces of property and nothing just sat well with us. Uh, and then one day, um, someone came by and said, look, there may be a piece of property here on, on Walker Road, just off Walker Road, 7th Concession, where we're at now. He says, they uh, are going through a divorce and they have to uh, sell in, or, in order to uh, divvy up the, uh, the uh, property. property. Mm -hmm. And so we went and looked at it, and it was, to me, I says, boy, this is a nice piece of property. Let's put an offer in. And so we agreed and offered them, was 80000 $180,000. $180,000. 48 acres. It was 48 acres, uh, 42 in Sandwich South, and six in the city of Windsor. And um, when we made the offer, we just prayed, Lord, if it's meant to be, it'll be. And you know what? It was. We, they accepted our offer. And that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. And at the time when we came to this property, uh, you'll see in some of the pictures they're going to show you, there wasn't one thing here. There was no Costco, no theaters, nothing. It was completely open fields. And you look at that property today and you say, God knew what he was doing. He's put us in the center of a huge place, and I know there's new housing developments coming in here. The place that we have here is such a precious place, and we're so very happy that uh, we have all this property. And anybody that comes here says, you've got the most beautiful property. It really is mm -hmm. a, a wonderful piece of property. Yes. But then we finally had our building made. <laughs> Rosati came in and, and helped us build our building. And there were so many things about that that were wonderful as well. Um, in people who donated their time, gave us supplies, a big newspaper articles showing all the, uh, when we finally opened our new building, all these places 
uh, Dezan, was it, that built Dezan. the building? Yes, the first, the phase one was Dezan. Yeah. Yeah, this is a Dezan structure, the old part of the building. Mm -hmm. um, and we've had, what, two more phases since then? Yeah, that was phase one. We've had phase two and phase three since then, yes. But getting our parking lot was miraculous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, try to keep this short. We had a, a man that came to the church. He was deaf, and he was able to tell me that he, he was able, he could design the parking lot, and uh, do the grading for us. So I said, "Great! Uh, how much is it going to cost?" He says, "No, my services are free." I says, "That's even better." <laughs> so I says, "Well, I've got enough money to pay for approximately 250 car parking lot." So I said, design it for that. Well, <laughs> I guess he misunderstood me because he ended up designing it for 500 cars, double the size. Now I'm freaking out because I don't have the money to pay for it. And being a mathematician, you solve problems. This was not a solution to my problem. It was a problem. But you know, the interesting thing was, it was he made it that size and I'm sort of freaking out. But the day after, there was a strike by the uh, asphalt companies, and they went down to 1962 prices. So now, going down to those prices, we were able to get twice the size of the parking lot that I thought we needed at half the price that I had thought it was going to cost us. So that's God. Amen. And that was paid for. It was paid for, paid for cash. It, it was paid for by cash by someone who had decided to pay for our parking lot. So when I think of the things that have happened over the years, um, it's amazing. <laughs> I don't want to cry. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, man. It's amazing how God has taken care of us. And I guess the thing we want to leave you with is God has done amazing things here. He's brought builders. He's brought the critical people at important times when we needed them. He's brought people with the skills, the legal skills, the building skills. Over the years, so many people came at just the right time. And I, I look at um, all of the people that are sitting out now in our church, how God has brought you to this place. And um, we're so grateful for everyone here who attends this church. We thank you for the volunteer work you do. God's brought in so many volunteers. This church has been built by volunteers and builders and people who have given their heart and soul for this place. And so we're so grateful. We just thank you for every one of you. Amen. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's amazing to see what God can do when he has willing hearts, purposed obedience, and people that show up for him. And there are no coincidences in the kingdom of heaven. He is a masterful tapestry weaver that weaves our lives in and out of each other. And you are all here for a reason. That was 40 years of legacy. And the people represented in this room now will represent the next 40 years of this church's legacy. Make no mistake, you are all here for a purpose. <sighs> all right. So last week, Pastor RJ talked about what we were doing at the church here to celebrate our anniversary and this week has a great message for us titled In Creation. So at this time, we'd like to welcome up Pastor Argy to the stage. Thank you, gentlemen. How many enjoyed that little blast of history that we just had? I think we have a few more of those planned over the next, over the next season as we're celebrating 40 years of God's goodness here at this place. And uh, I just wanted to throw in a little disclaimer. Uh, the newlyweds who read the scripture today. Oh, I see them out there. Hi, guys. And uh, that whole uh, be fruitful and multiply part was purely coincidental and had no bearing on their future status as parents or should not be interpreted as an indication of their intended timeline for children. <laughs> this notice is especially noted for the Mio inquiring families. <laughs> anyway. Ah, oh, man, I remember the early days. Uh, I was uh, one of those people that came in and set up. <laughs> I was just little. I must have been 10 years old. And, you know, you ever see a 10-year-old try to lift a speaker up and put it on a stand? We would get two of us together because the things were heavy and be like, hey, John, come here. 
we'd put it on the stand and we'd pop it up. But every Sunday, we'd have to come in early and set up and tear down at the end of the day. And that was just how we did life for a season until we were able to get this facility. And God has blessed us with an amazing building and property. And, you know, it's really an equipping and a training center. Okay? A lot of people say, oh, it's just the church. No. You come here to get equipped. You come here to get trained so that we, the body of Christ, can go do the work of the ministry by taking the message of hope outside of the four walls of this building. That's really quiet. Okay, so let's go back Foundational 101. (laughs) I'm the pastor. My job is to train you to go tell other people about Jesus. And we do that not here but out in the world, in your circle of influence. And I'd like to challenge everyone who calls this church their home to help participate and serve alongside us on the same level of commitment as we built this place on. Which means if you're serving somewhere, I'm not talking to you, but if you're not serving anywhere, there's a place for you. Get involved somewhere. Do anything. You don't have to have a doctorate in theology to come alongside us and serve. It's easy for you to grab a vacuum cleaner and vacuum this. Most of you do this on a regular basis anyways. Sometimes it's the very practical things that get overlooked because we all want to come up here. Oh, I can't do it. And sing like Mitch. You know, I can't sing like Mitch. Or Aiden. Or Marnie. Or Lauren. You know, I can't do it. Sorry, Kayla. You know. Not my thing. I used to play trumpet. For years, I played trumpet right over there, kind of behind where the cross is now. For years. But see, this is the thing. Our DNA is servanthood. Our DNA is we serve each other, we serve the king. And for me, when I grow up, if there's a need, you fill it. Right? Now, we try to be a little more intentional, and I want to make sure you are filling a need in your area of passion, because there's nothing worse than having someone serving and they're not enthusiastic about it. So you really don't want me singing in worship. I could do it, but you won't like it. Oh, you might get a good laugh. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to stay with my gift. I'll try to talk to you. Okay, try, operative. (laughs) Some days I do that better than others. But what happens is I want to encourage all of you, take ownership of the work that God is doing here in Windsor, and there's a part for you to play. That's why we do things like the Design to Lead Discipleship Orientation class. Why? Because it gives you tools that you need to be effective outside of the four walls of this church. If you haven't led someone to Christ in the last year, I have a question for you. Why not? That's not a guilt question. If we have a great commission, go and tell others about Christ, then why aren't we leading people to Christ? All right. Anyway, come alongside us. Serve with us. Let's, let's really go and do the work that God has called us to together. Because I know that if we work together, nothing is impossible. And we can influence our entire community towards Christ. Okay? Um, last time we were together, I was talking about the nature of God as good. And today I want to continue the goodness of God series as we're going to be for the next few weeks. But today I want to focus on his goodness in creation. And as we start looking at God's goodness in creation, I think it's really important that we understand that verse that they read for us in Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay. And some of you speak better Latin than I do, but there's this principle of uh, imago dei, or in the image of God, in the likeness of God. That's how humans were made. And we were created with some of the attributes of God placed inside of us, not as deity, but his kindness and his compassion and his empathy. And, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit, but I also want to touch verse 31. God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. And, and again, six times in the account of creation, you see God pretty well once a day, God saw that it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. When he created the earth, he made it good. He put his divine nature, nature, 
not all of the attributes, inside of us. And it sets us apart from the animal world. And this is what I'm trying to get to right now. We are not merely mammals. People today want to identify as animals, but I'm not an animal. I am so much more than that, and so are you. Okay. And today, there's probably more of an attack against the image of God than at any time in history, but things like your ability to critically think, your ability to reason, creativity, the arts. I mean, the ability to appreciate art, whether music or on canvas or paper, or the ability to worship, that capacity that we have, to dis it distinguishes us. And that's just some of the characteristics that distinguish us from the animal world. God made all of creation good. He saw that it was good. And, and remember, last week we established innately as a part of his, an attribute of who he is, he's good. So when someone who can be nothing but good looks out over what he made and says it's good, you know it's good. It's not subjective. <laughs> God says it's good, it is good, I assure you. Now, the earth is the Lord's and he created all things good. Now I want you to consider for a moment with me have you looked at the stars and their splendor? And I mean, it wasn't until just a few years ago that Hubble and that telescope that they invented, I know they got another one coming online now, but they started opening up the richness and the vastness of the heavens. And we started seeing far beyond what we could see with the traditional methods. And, and we started realizing that the universe is massive and, and in great detail, it's greatly detailed. But have you looked at the majesty of the mountains, the vastness of the seas? I mean, we just spent some time on the East Coast, and my wife and I, for the whole trip, could not stop talking about the trees that were everywhere. We love trees. God created the earth, and it's majestic. And the truth is, even life is very intricate. The process that are happening in your body on a cellular level right now, and, and just for life to exist, the distance we are from the sun, so the speed that the earth is traveling so it doesn't get sucked in by its gravitational pull, the spin of the earth so we have day and night, the angle so that we have the proper temperatures. There is so much precision in the balance of the oxygen and nitrogen in the atmosphere. Do you know you start increasing the oxygen level of our atmosphere and the whole earth would start on fire? You think I'm kidding. God knew exactly what he was doing when he created heaven and earth, when he made you, and he made you in his image, and he did not make you by accident. Connected to this, God created us not just to love him, but to love others. And I, I, I often wonder, I sit back and I go, God, People tell me they love you, but they demonstrate no love for others in their life. I don't understand this. How can you love God, but not love humans that are really an expression of his love and part of his creation? It doesn't make sense. And then nowadays, there's all these, I'll call them theologians, but they're not really theologians because they're starting to alter the word of God. And they're blending humanism with the Bible. And I, I think this is dangerous. Now, let me take a step back. When we look at truth versus lie, the more truth present, the harder it is to discern the lie. So 99.9% .9 truth, 0.1% lie is much more difficult than if I just gave you 50% lie and 50% truth. You'd be able to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a lie. I'm resisting the temptation to make some comments about professional sports teams right now. But when we look at truth versus lie, okay? So what happens is these, these guys that study the Bible, but then they can't rationalize the humanism that they've been brought up with, and they try to blend them into theories. Let me give you one. Genesis is really figurative, and God actually took millions of years to evolve humans over time. For me, I think the best reading of Genesis is a literal interpretation. Okay, God made the heavens and the earth. Do I think that God evolved humans over millions of years? No, but I'm going to tell you why. Acts chapter 321 talks about the restoration of all things. 
At some point in the future, God is going to restore the earth to its former state of glory and splendor, perfection before sin and death was released. And I'll get to the fall in a minute. In Revelations 21, he's talking about the former things are going to pass away like death and sickness. So either God created the world with death and sickness present as that process of evolution happened over millions of years, and then what is he going to restore it to? A primordial chaotic state? Doesn't make sense. God created the earth and said it was good. It was without flaw. It was without fault. It was without sin. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was no decay. That's how he created it. But anytime we try to blend humanism in and come up with these other theories, we end up coming to conclusions that are inconsistent with what the Bible's pointing to. And that's always going to leave you in a dangerous situation. If God created the earth good, then the only possible way that you could read the book of Genesis is a literal interpretation, not a figurative one, where he's giving us a picture. We didn't evolve over millions of years. God made man out of the mud, dirt. And he breathed the spark of life in. And see, this is the thing we got to remember. God gives life. The life you have comes from God. And when you die, your body will go back to dust because the life will be gone. We forget about this. But everything is sustained by him. Everything exists because he created it. Now, that leads me to the fall. God made humans, said it was good. Genesis 3, we read the account of how the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. Verse 6 tells us that Adam was in the conversation. Seriously. If Adam and Eve were just Cajuns, they would have ate the snake instead of the forbidden fruit, and we've saved us a whole lot of problems. (laughs) But they're not. (laughs) So after the fall, sin and death were introduced to planet Earth. Death and decay were byproducts of mankind's disobedience. Now we've got thorns. Now we've got carnivores. You know, before that, animals, lions ate plants. After the fall, lions ate other animals. There was no death before. There was no decay. It was perfect. So now the fall has introduced all of these concepts and evil has entered our perfect world. Now, despite its presence... It doesn't mean that the earth was not created good. It just means now it's spiraling because of death and sickness and decay and mankind's disobedience and degradation and generation after generation of corruption produces more corruption. That's why, because of our disobedience, Christ had to come, right? That's why God had to send Christ to interrupt that process of decay. Now, when mankind disobeyed God, it released sin, it released death, it released sickness and disease, thorns, curse, all those things into the earth. Romans 8, 18 picks up on this. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Have you ever heard of... um, No pain, no gain. (laughs) You know, you go to the gym and you lift weights. Why? What are you hoping to achieve when you lift weights? Greater strength. But in the gym, what do they tell you? No? No? Yeah, and I know there's different theories on that. I don't don't care. It's not my point. My point is, you're going to suffer in this life. Why? So you can reap glory later. Jesus suffered so he could reap glory He went to the cross. He suffered. He lived among us. But then, now he's glorified to the right hand of God. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Now pay attention to verse 20. Against its will, all creation was subjected to what? God's curse. That day... When they ate the fruit, but they did, all of creation suddenly came under the curse. Now, with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. 
Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm halfway to 100 now. And I've noticed, you know, my wife and I go out and we're trying to work on our pickleball skills. And I'm running over here and I'm trying to hit the rocket here and I'm running up here and I'm like, and then I go home and I'm like, oh, this earth suit does not recover quite as quick as it did maybe 30 years ago. It still recovers, it's just a little slower. I have to do a lot more stretching. I, I, won't, I won't, but you know, you got to stretch out those calves and those quads. You don't want to hurt yourself. I look forward to the day when I get a new body that doesn't break down and doesn't decay. I mean, even in day-to-day -day life, I mean, what? <laughs> you see me, I'm limping. Why? Oh, I dislocated my foot. Oh, I twisted my, oh, I did this, you know, like these are part of the fallen sinful world we live in. There's going to come a day when we don't have to groan anymore, we can look forward with great expectation to the life to come. For we know that all creation's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, which means the Spirit within us gives us a glimpse of heaven. But you're not living in heaven yet. We're not there yet. But the Spirit in us gives us a foretaste. It gives us these glimpses of glory. Some of you spend more time in heaven than you do on earth because you're more connected with what the Spirit's doing inside. But we believers also groan, even though we have this Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. The other part of that is, how do you know, as long as you're alive, you're going to have temptation. You have temptation to sin. Hopefully not right now. Although some of you, I'm sure, you're fighting temptation right now even in church. Oh, Marjorie, if the Holy Spirit's talking to you. <laughs> the truth is, I don't normally look at anyone. I just look at the section. And, but if you're feeling convicted, that's great. I love it. <laughs> we too wait with eager hope for the day. God will give us full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. You know what? There's going to come a day when the sickness and the curse and the suffering and the, that all will cease. And we get a new glorified body and we get to be with him. And he's going to restore the earth back to that place where it was good and pure and holy. And everyone gets along. I think the language in the prophetic book says, isn't it the, the lion lays down with the lamb? I mean, you put a lion and a lamb together today, that lamb is going to have a bad day. <laughs> now that I think about that, a couple summers ago, we went to South Africa to visit the jam bases, the uh, four Africa bases that we work with. And, and we went in with the lions. And I'm like, in retrospect, we were crazy to go in with those lions. <laughs> All right. Humanity was created for a purpose. The purpose that God created us for was not to live in slavery the slavery that sin produces. That's not what God created us for. He created us to live in freedom, not shackled by bondage, shackled by fear, shackled by addiction. That's not what God created us for. He created us to live in freedom. And here's the key. The only way to live free from sin is to live in Christ. And it's in Christ at the cross, there was an exchange that took place and your bondage gets traded for freedom. The blood of Christ at the cross relieved you of that. Now, after the fall of man in the garden, the only way that mankind can walk in freedom is through Christ. And we exist, what? To love God and to love others. Let's try that again. We love God and we love others. We love people. What do we do here? We equip the body for everyday discipleship. What does that mean? It's a byproduct of our love for God. We love his children. And because we love his children, we don't want anyone to perish, just like Jesus doesn't want anyone to perish. I don't want anyone to go on to the next life without having a relationship with Christ and acknowledging that he died for their sin and having an understanding that there was a sacrifice paid so that they could have a better resurrection. 
Because the truth is, there's people all around us that are going on to the next life and they're not in relationship with Christ. We have a job to do. We have a task at hand. There's a world that needs us. But I'm going to tell you, you are more than your past failures and mistakes. You are more than the false image that you see yourself in sometimes. You are more than the sin. You're more than the shame. You're more than the misery. You're more than seeking happiness and fulfillment outside of Christ. That stuff you need to take to the cross in exchange for the new creation and take on the new life that Christ has for us. See, he made creation good. Mankind came in and introduced death and decay, sickness and disease, hardship, pain. All of these struggles happen as a result of that. But Christ made a way for us to get back to relationship with him where we can experience glimpses of his glory in our life every day. And we can see his power transform us so that we can conquer sin. We're overcomers. He made you an overcomer, not a victim. He made you an overcomer, not a coincidence. You weren't here by accident. Even if you think you came by accident, God didn't put you here by accident. You're not in this room by accident. God brought you here for a reason. God created you for a purpose. And you are here on planet Earth as a Christ follower to shake hell to its very foundation and core. But that only happens, oh, you guys were talking about that with Tyler, obedience. When we're obedient to the things God commands us to do, and we take on his nature and character, we throw off the shackles of sin. We overcome temptation, and we start walking in victory, not in defeat. Psalms 104. You know, as I was reflecting on this message about the goodness of God in creation, I was reading Psalms 104, and I realized that the psalmist here kind of captured something. And I started highlighting some of the stuff that talked about the creator. And I highlighted the better part of the chapter. So then I thought, maybe I'll just read it to you. I'll start in verse 2. I might jump a little, forgive me, but you stretch out the starry curtain of heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds, and you make the clouds your chariot. You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers, flames of fire are your servants. The psalmist is framing that the heavens were created. Okay? God's the one that put the stars in place. God's the one that created the heavens. Okay? Then he goes on, he says, then you place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. He put the earth in its orbit and he set it up exactly. You clothed the earth with floods of water that covered even the mountains. At your command, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose, valleys sank to the levels you decreed. You know that God created the heavens and the earth and all of its splendor and glory. And despite the curse, you know, I hear people talk about, oh, the earth, we're all going to die. Well, one day we're all going to die. But I don't think the earth is going to be destroyed by humans in the end because God says he's going to come back and judge us with fire. (laughs) And then he's going to create a new heavens and new earth. We might do some damage to the planet, with some of these weapons we've made, some of these diseases we create, some of these problems we cause. But the truth is, God's the one that set the heaven and earth in place. And this earth is a pretty amazing place. You, you travel the earth, you'll see it's glorious. And even in the last couple of years, we learned some stuff because how many know some of these major cities have this cloud of pollution over them? And you know, you listen to some people, that'll never go away. Actually, it did. In less than a year, when they stopped adding to it, the earth started regenerating itself because God created the earth to replenish and rejuvenate. And, re- and it still does that today, despite the stuff we try to do to hurt it. You set a firm boundary for the seas that they would never again cover the earth. You make springs pour water into ravines so the streams gush down from the mountains. They provide water for all the animals and wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the tree. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home and you fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth. 
Think about it for a second. It doesn't matter if you're righteous or unrighteous, the rain falls. The grass grows. Food is produced and people eat. Now, when nations turn their back on God, yeah, he'll stop the rain from falling. Drought is almost always a sign of God's judgment. Pay attention, California. When people turn their back on the creator and defy him corporately, you know what's going to happen? Judgment. Okay? But the truth is, in the meantime, you eat, I eat, the unrighteous eat, because God's the one that takes care of his creation. Let's jump down. You made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows where to set. You send darkness, it becomes night. When all the forest animals prowl about, the young lions roar for prey, stalking the food provided by God. And dawn, they slink in their dens to rest, and people go to work. Oh, that's a, that's a biblical concept, work. Do you know God created you to work? Yep. Six days we work, one day we rest. That's Bible. Today, I don't want to work. I just want to get paid. I don't want to work. Why would I want to work? Do, do, do. Just reading the Bible. Let's jump down. They all depend on you to give them food as they need it. That's verse 27. When you supply it, they gather it. You open your hand and feed them, and they're richly satisfied. If you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust, which I talked about. When you give them breath, life is created. You renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The psalmist understands something here. God sustains us all. He gave you breath. He gave you life. Every talent, ability, and skill that you have, he gave you. Satan came into the world with evil to corrupt and try to get you off that course, to try to get you off of God's plan for your life. Too many Christians are not living up to the standard that God has set for them. They're not becoming who God has made them to be. There's this concept of self-realization where we actually activate the gift of God inside of our life and we ascend into what God has called us to be. Too many people see themselves as something that they're not, as a failure, as not good enough, as not able, and you never rise above mediocrity and you struggle. For your whole existence. Why? Your identity is wrong. We got to get that piece down. Stand up with me. I'm running out of time now. You know, as we come to the table today, we celebrate the Lord's suffer, supper, his suffering, his crucifixion the resurrection, his shed blood. We do this to remember the ultimate act of God's goodness and mercy towards us. And you know, as we come to the table on a regular basis, we're reminded that God is good. He made the earth good. He made you good. Don't believe the lies that you'll never conquer sin. Yeah, we have our challenges in this life, but let his goodness come forth in your life. Start changing the way you see yourself. Stop looking in the mirror and seeing the you of yesterday or the you of five years ago or the you of 10 years ago. Stop looking in the mirror and seeing all of the past failures and mistakes. And start looking to the cross where Christ exchanged our failure in his mercy and grace and gave us life. Then now he's adopted us into his family and calls us his sons and daughters. And we can identify as Christ's followers. His sons and his daughters here on planet earth who are here to execute his kingdom. Enacting all of the rights and privileges 
of sons of God and daughters of God. Free, get free from the shackles that so easily entangle you. And you do that at the cross. Father, we repent and we turn from wickedness in our hearts, lack of self-discipline, lack of faith, doubt, unbelief. We forsake those concepts now and we look to you, our source of life, the one who gives us breath and strength and we can live and move and have our being in you. And Lord, at the cross, you went to bring freedom from sickness and disease. So I speak life over our congregation and everyone listening right now. And in the brokenness of Christ, he made a way for us to be whole. In Jesus' name. the blood of the new covenant, the cup, which we celebrate right now. Through Christ's suffering, he made a way for us to have relationship with the Father, for us to have forgiveness and be restored to wholeness. Today, Jesus, help us to realize how good you are, how holy you are, how just, that every heart can release fear and anxiety, unforgiveness and bitterness, anger and resentment, and lay it down at your feet. We surrender. And today, as Christ's followers, we take on your nature. We have the mind of Christ. We walk in love towards others. We serve our Creator unashamedly. And we join arm in arm and hand in hand so that we can build together the kingdom of God here on planet Earth. Help us to be wise. Help us to be intentional. Help us to live a surrendered life. And Jesus, today we look to you. And we thank you and are forever grateful for the life you've given us today. Amen. Larry and Jean will come now. Hallelujah. Another treat today. Thank you, Pastor RJ, for preparing so carefully for us every time, every time. And thank you, worship team. And thank you all for coming. Amen. Amen. Well, today I just want to share with you a story about one of our own. You may not know them because they usually go to the nine o'clock church, but it's Lisa and Doyle Donnie. And, you know, a few weeks back, we got a text from Lisa, and she said, we're having a pool party, and we want you to come. And I thought, a pool party? You're inviting us? I mean, how did we float to the top of your list there? That's unbelievable. So I don't even own a bathing suit. So I thought, okay, Larry has trunks. He's still strong. He can, and he can swim, and we'd love to get to know Lisa and Doyle and... So we said, yes, we'll go. <laughs> well, we get there, and Lisa goes, well, I think it's time we all get in the pool, you know, in her sweet little voice. And I go, well, I don't have a bathing suit, so I'm all prepared to sit, you know. And she says, oh, just a few weeks back, I was in the bathing suit store, or whatever they call that place, and I just happened to pick up a bathing suit, and I think it will fit you. I thought, are you kidding who buys a bathing suit they could never wear that could fit me, you know? So, and, and before I could even protest, she's up the stairs and back down with a beautiful bag. Inside is a beautiful swimming suit and a cover-up. She says, just go in there, try it on. I'm sure it'll fit. I thought, oh, yeah. <clears throat> okay. So, I go in, and can you believe it? It fit. It fit. The cover-up fit. Everything. I just, I couldn't believe it. So I come out, and we just spent over an hour in the pool just talking. Well, when it was time to get out, there's Lisa, just unbelievable, out of the pool with a beach towel, rather ready to cover me up as I came out. 
I nearly cried. You know, the goodness of God was shown through that young couple and their family to us. And I know that in this building today, the goodness of God wants to flow through each one of you. And it may be something as unbelievable as buying a bathing suit that doesn't fit you. So hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor RJ, again, for giving us the goodness of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. I didn't have to get you a bathing suit. (laughs) (laughs) It probably would have been the wrong color. (laughs) Anyway, isn't God good? You know, I was just, uh, today, I, or in the first service, we had communion, and, and I had the communion cup, and so I just put it behind, or I was holding it behind me, and, and I happened to get this communion juice in my back here. And uh, I went into the restroom, and somebody come running in, and, are you all right? Are you all right? And then somebody else approached me, are, are you Okay. You know, that's what the body of Christ is all about. Because he has a big red spot on the back of his shirt. Yeah, I have. (laughs) It looks like he's bleeding. Yeah, so, but anyway, uh, that's what the body's all about, is looking out for one another, caring for one another, and uh, just, let's just be more like Jesus. You know, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, But anyway, so... Isn't God good? I mean, uh, everybody should just be running around telling the goodness of God because he is so good. The rocks don't need to cry out because we're living stones, because our life has been founded on the rock Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been Equipped. Amen. Go be the church.